speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself. Uh, every passage of the Bible speaks to who he is and what he has to say for us. Specifically, this summer, we're looking at Jesus. We're calling it Stories of the King, as we've been skipping through the gospel stories, looking at different scriptures about Jesus and who he is. We recognize some real clear things right now in our culture. We know the world is broken, right? We just all know that. It's clearer than ever. The world is broken. We also recognize the need for perfect leadership. Um, We do the best we can to follow the leaders we have and to honor them and support them, but man, we know we need a real king, a true king. We long for the perfect loving king, and that's the king we have in Jesus. So this summer, we're devoting ourselves to looking again at Jesus, stories of the king. Another reason that we're doing this this over the summer is families are spending a lot more time in close quarters than ever before, and so I want to encourage those of you that are stuck with family members or stuck with roommates or stuck with whoever is in your household to practice telling the stories of Jesus. Read the stories of Jesus, practice retelling the stories of Jesus. This is something Christians have done for 2,000 years. last 500 years, we've had a lot more written material, printing press and all that historically, but that's 500 out of 2,000 years of Christianity where we have been telling stories, not even counting the thousands of years of God's people before that. So let's practice telling these stories. This week, we're calling it the King of Compassion. The King of Compassion, we're going to be in Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21, Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. This is going to be really helpful stuff for us. What we're going to see as we look at Jesus having compassion on people is we're going to get a model that we can follow. The New Testament tells us to be compassionate. The New Testament commands it, as a matter of fact. In Colossians chapter 3, I read it at the very beginning of our service. Colossians 3 tells us, as dearly beloved children, right, Because, you might say, as children that are loved, picked out, adopted by God, put on compassionate hearts. That's what Paul says in Colossians 3. It says, because of your identity, because God showed compassion to you and me, we should show compassion. So we're commanded to do it. The method is, we look at Jesus, we realize the compassion he's had for us, we find freedom and forgiveness because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the dead, giving us supernatural power over our flesh and over the death that is creeping all around us, so that we can now obey this command and show compassion to others. Now, compassion in the New Testament is a feeling word. It's a wrenching of your guts. There are three different words for compassion or mercy, depending on your English translation, but those three Greek words, two of them are gut words. Two of them are idioms, you might say, right? Where it's the wrenching of your guts or your innards getting tight. That's what the word means in Greek. So the idea is you see someone's hurt and it hurts you. And then that moves you to step toward their pain, just like Jesus did for us. And so that's how the word works. I want to share with you a story of when that happened in my life. Of course, as a follower of Jesus, this has happened many times in my life. But I can remember one time 20 years ago, a chapel speaker coming to the seminary where I was studying in St. Louis. This guy's name was Gary Haugen, and he had worked for the United Nations to go document the Rwandan genocide. And so he had gone and documented some of the worst atrocities that anyone had ever seen speaking to people who had survived by hiding under stacks of dead bodies, seeing murder and just horrors that no one can imagine. And he shared these stories, and he talked about how that broke him as a follower of Jesus. 
and how he came back just broken and aching and praying and praying, God, how can this world be so evil? How can people do such bad, terrible things? Where were you, God? Where were you? Where are you? And as he read the scriptures to hear God speak back to him, because we believe God speaks to us through the scriptures, what he found was often in places of injustice in the Bible, God's question is, where are my people? Where are my people? So Haugen started this thing called the International Justice Mission that basically comes alongside missionaries in other countries, and wherever there are injustices and abuses, these guys are like former police and lawyers that come in, document it, try to rescue, literally rescue slaves, rescue those that are being trafficked, um, rescue those children that are being abused. And so they tried to take action based on his conviction that when you see horrors, you should feel horrible and, like Jesus, move towards it to bring relief. And that is how compassion works. So when I heard that story, I felt it. I heard the stories. Oh, it hurt me. I moved forward, tried to begin partnering with that ministry and and many others like that. Every other ministry I've gotten involved in, I think there was some level of seeing something that was a problem, recognizing that problem, feeling a bit of angst or hurt or gut-wrenching compassion over that, and then moving towards that problem in mercy. Now, of course, we can't fix every problem, but we are to feel that compassion and to join in what Jesus is doing in the world of meeting others in their needs. So let's read Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. Verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So I'll just pause for a second and explain. Heard what? His cousin and friend and partner in ministry, John the Baptist, just got brutally murdered in a sick, twisted way. So go read that disgusting story on your own time, but his friend just got murdered. What did he want to do? He wanted to withdraw to a desolate place. He wanted some time by himself. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. There's a lot of people. Jesus fed the 5,000. And again, at the very beginning, he felt compassion. He felt compassion for them. He began healing them. Other stories tell us he began healing them and teaching them the word of God. And he didn't just stop there. He also fed them. This is what compassion looks like. It's feeling something towards other people's pain and then moving towards meeting that need. Let me pray for us and then we'll unpack this. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you saw us in our pain, in our sin, in our depravity, in our brokenness, and you moved towards us. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you that you are the king of compassion. God, we all come at this this morning, at this text in different places. Some of us have been doing too much compassion in our own flesh, and we are running out of steam. 
God, will you revive us by your spirit? Some of us have learned ways to guard ourselves from being hurt in that way, and we're not doing compassion. We're blocked off. We're trying to protect our hearts. God, will you reopen our hearts? God, some of us just need simply to take a next step, to see others in their pain, to move towards that pain, empowered by your spirit. God, will you teach us today? Show us what we need and what's our next step to take. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're called to compassion. As I said, Colossians commands it. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on this same, uh, this gut-wrenching feeling towards others and move towards others showing the same kind of mercy that Jesus showed towards us. We're called to do that. Um, It's described in many places in the New Testament. And here's a beautiful example of us seeing Jesus do that. And so, again, not to beat a dead horse, but if we are followers of Jesus, then when we see Jesus do stuff, we should follow him and do Jesus-y stuff, right? So that's just my, my simple explanation. We're going to see Jesus do things. We're going to follow him and do things like Jesus. Now, granted, there are some things maybe that Jesus can do that we can't do, but we still step out in faith and seek to help people the way Jesus helped people. So we're going to look at the king of compassion here, and my outline is pretty simple. Number one is that compassion is painful. Compassion is something you feel. It's painful. Secondly, compassion defies common sense. It defies common sense. And then thirdly, compassion overflows. So it's painful, it defies common sense, and it overflows. So the first thing we see is that compassion is painful. Uh, So the first point, just in verses 13 and 14, compassion is painful. Um, So again, I already described the situational pain. So the compassion of Jesus is rising up out of great pain and hurt and anguish in his own heart, right? What happened? His friend, his colleague, was just murdered brutally. John the Baptist's head was served on a platter for a wicked woman uh, in context of some you know, nasty dancing that was going on. It was just like a gross story, right? And his friend is murdered. And what does it say in verse 13? It says, in verse 13, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And so again, we do Jesus' stuff. What is something we see Jesus doing again and again? When he's hurt, he'll go cry out to the Father. That's, real, that's really important, folks. We don't want to skip past that. That is good and right. He withdraws, he prays. He spends time with the Father. He, he admits his anguish. He calls out to him. Jesus prays the Psalms again and again. That is a really good habit for us as well, to be real, to be honest. Being a Christian doesn't mean you fake it and pretend everything's fine now. It means you have a relationship with God. He saved you from yourself, from your own sin. He's forgiven you. He's adopted you. You are his dearly loved child, as it says in Colossians 3. So now we put on compassionate hearts because he's shown compassion to us. And so part of the process of being his children is getting to express our anguish and our hurt and our pain to him. And as we do that, that gives us more freedom and more ability to then help others and serve others. We don't just pretend we have no pain and then just zoom out there as saviors ourselves, like we're just going to save everybody because I have no pain anymore. No, just like Jesus, who was a man, we can withdraw, we can pray, say, God, rebuild me, God, help me. So he was doing this. He was withdrawing. He was seeking the Lord. But, (laughs) But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, it says in verse 14, he saw a great crowd And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Sometimes your time of withdrawal gets interrupted, right? And that is painful. 
So healthy habits are withdrawing, are praying, are not healing every person all the time, right? We see that again with Jesus. He'll be healing people, healing people, healing people. And then he's like, all right, we're going to stop. We're going to move on to the next town. And he would just stop. He didn't heal everybody. He stopped. He went, he took a nap. He went and prayed with the father. He went with his disciples and preached at the next town. So it's okay to have boundaries, but sometimes our boundaries get interrupted. And we see Jesus' boundary getting broken. He's gone to be alone with the father, but that time gets blown up and he has compassion. His heart is moved towards them. So this Greek word, compassion, is splanknizomai. Um, the other Greek word that has to do with the, the innards is oikterion or oikterion, depends on which form of it. And so both of those words are talking about the guts, moving, aching. We have different ways of saying that, right? We say things like, my heart was broken. That's a way we say that. My insides hurt, right? My heart was broken. Um, it was gut-wrenching. Oh, that hurt me. Oh, it made my stomach hurt. Oh, it made me cry, right? Like we have different ways in our idioms of expressing the same kind of thing. So these Greek words are getting at that common human emotion of like, ugh, right? You ever have uh, this happen where someone describes a surgical procedure they have or they show you a cut and you kind of like recoil, ugh, right? Does that ever happen to you? Raise your hand in the audience if that ever happens to you. That's maybe 50%. Um, that's not everybody, you know, everybody doesn't react the same way, but that's, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here, right? You're like, ooh, there's like a sympathetic pain there, um, and that's what Jesus is feeling here. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. As I said, in the cross-references, um, I think the cross-references are Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6. So the healing of the 5,000 is in every gospel. Um, but in those cross-references, we see he not only healed the sick, but he also taught them. You know, there are other things that were happening here, but it came out of his compassion. He's hurting with them. He's feeling their pain. He healed their sick. Um, now, one thing I want to point out in the healing is it's easy for us to jump to the full divinity of Jesus, right? So Christian theology, we believe that God, that Jesus was 100% God, 100% divine. We also believe, though, that he was 100% human. So I think it's really important for us to make sure we don't like just kind of do this, well, forget what Jesus did because he was God, right? He was 100% human and we are to follow him. And so we see him healing and we can imagine it like this was easy, right? Because it's supernatural, I don't have the supernatural gift of healing. I can kind of put this in a separate category of, oh, magical, supernatural, Jesus was God thing. That's not on me, right? (laughs) What I want you to see is he felt compassion and he moved towards people in their pain. Maybe you pray for their healing and they're not healed, but you are to move towards them in their pain, right? You don't, you don't get an out and go, well, I don't have the, the gift of healing, so forget that, right? Like, we don't get to say that. Compassion is he's, he feels it and he moves towards them in their pain. The other thing is don't write it off like, because he was God, it was easy, and Jesus never got tired. He got tired, Right? His heart was broken. He was trying to withdraw. We, we see this again and again through the Gospels. Read the Gospels and see Jesus' humanity. So again, I just want to emphasize that compassion is painful. It's another way you could say this is it's costly. I was talking to my wife about this. Like, what's the best word to describe this? Because it's not always painful necessarily, right? But it's always costly. It's always costly. I grabbed a picture of someone performing CPR. Um, performing CPR is really hard right? Like if you've ever been a medic or I've taken a lot of first aid classes, if you trained to do that, it is physically vigorous, right? We had a friend in our church whose 
Mom had a heart attack. She did CPR. She actually broke her mom's rib, and her mom gave her a hard time about it. She's like, Mom, I saved your life, right? But, but her rib was broken in the process. It's painful. It's intense, right? I, just, I use that as an illustration of like moving towards people in their pain is not an easy thing. It's costly. It's painful. It's difficult. Uh, so as we apply this, this is what I'd, I'd like you to think about. Number one, don't get it backwards. Don't say, because compassion is painful, I'm going to just seek out painful things, right? That's not what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to compassion. I'm calling you to love, right? Jesus says, have compassion, have love, and a lot of times it's going to hurt. He's not saying, because sometimes it hurts, just set your calendar to pursue every painful thing you can. That's, that's not it, right? Like that's flipping things around. It's kind of a poverty gospel that's, that's mixing things up. Pursue love, pursue compassion. And no, a lot of times that's going to be costly. That's going to be hurtful or painful. The other thing is don't wait for easy. It's rarely easy. It's another way to say it. Um, and I want to be careful about this. Sometimes when you're really gifted at something, it can feel easy, right? So uh, it's easier for me to listen to people's problems and have empathy than it is for a lot of other people. I know I'm actually maybe above average gifted, right? But that doesn't mean it's free and it doesn't cost anything, right? I'm still whooped after I've sat with a lot of people and cried with a lot of people, right? Like after I've prayed with a lot of people or moved towards a lot of people in their pain, I'm still whooped. I might have a higher capacity than you do, but that doesn't mean it's not costly, right? So we're all gifted in different things. Like as you see someone in their pain, because you're administrative, like you might move in with your gifts of administration and serve them and that might be something you're better at, something you have to provide, something you're gifted in. And in a sense, that might be easier for you than it might be for someone else. It's less costly maybe for you to do administration or to do empathy or to serve someone or to help or to teach them, right? We have different gifts. And so we can get confused about this and just think, oh, okay, well, if I'm operating in my area of giftedness, it's always easy. It's never costly. Well, no, it's still costly. It's still painful, even if you're using your gifts, so I guess what I want to say is I want to affirm, use your gifts, use what you're best at. Use the thing that's the least painful for you to help people in their pain. That's completely okay, right? Again, I'm not saying pursue as much pain as possible. If you're better at, at A than B, well, do A, right? If that's going to be less painful for you, do that thing to love because the goal is love. The goal is compassion. Just recognize even when you're great at stuff, it still hurts. It still wears you out. Uh, my son's with us today. Uh, I remember watching him play high school football. He could do amazing things on the football field that, that, that looked easy, right? And then he could also be like flopping on the ground with cramps afterwards. <laughs> it was still painful. Like, okay, maybe he could run faster than anybody else, but that still cost something. That was still painful. That still left a hurt. Um, so the goal is compassion. Recognize it's going to often be painful. It's going to cost us something, but the goal is compassion. We move towards people in their love. The other thing I'd like to think about as we think about the painfulness of compassion is if you don't naturally feel that compassion or you're not moving towards people in compassion, why? Why is that? Is it maybe because you don't think they deserve compassion? Then you need to reassess your theology. Our theology is that all people are made in the image of God and deserve dignity. Whether they're a different color than you, they still deserve dignity. Whether they're a criminal or not, that's a big part of the confusion right now. I've heard all kinds of strange things about like, well, it's okay for a police to be brutal, a policeman to be brutal if someone's a criminal. No, they're made in the image of God, right? We, 
We show dignity to every person because they're made in the image of God. So we show compassion to every person because they're made in the image of God. Also, we're all sinners, right? Go back and read Romans 3. Whether you grew up religious or non-religious, Paul brings those arguments together and says, either way, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And God showed us compassion. So because God showed compassion to us, a mercy we did not deserve, we're going to show mercy and compassion to others, even if they don't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. (laughs) You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Compassion, by definition, is never deserved. So don't get mixed up about that. It's something we're commanded to do because God does it, because Jesus does it. The other thing I want to dig out a little bit, and we'll move on, I want to to dig out your hearts a little bit. If you resist compassion, sometimes it's because you weren't shown compassion as a child. And so can we just stop for a minute, psychoanalyze you, go to a painful place? I'm sorry. If you were hurt as a child, I'm sorry. I wish someone had been there to show compassion to you. You need to grieve over that with a godly friend that can help you talk through that process but you need to stop relying on walling yourself off from other people as the cure, because that is not the cure. That will not heal you. So sometimes we don't show compassion because we weren't shown compassion, and it's easier to just separate from people. I have good news for you. Even if the people around you, when you needed it the most, failed you, the God of the universe has moved towards you in your cosmic loneliness and your cosmic treason in the person of Christ. And he placed all the sins of the world, all of your shame, all of your loneliness, all of your abandonment, all of the injustices on Christ. And Jesus bore that penalty for you. So I want to encourage you to work through that. Those feelings are real and they matter. But to recognize that Jesus is your only hope. And that that frees you then to begin to be able to show the same kind of compassion Jesus showed to you, to other people. Um, Some books that I think are helpful on that subject specifically. Uh, One book I didn't have with me, I think I've got it at the house. It's called Love Walked Among Us by Paul Miller. I've recommended this book many times. It's a book that merely just studies the way that Jesus saw people in their pain, showed compassion on them, loved them, spoke to them. It's just a beautiful book that just walks through how Jesus did this sort of thing in the Gospels. Recommend it highly. Love Walked Among Us by Paul Miller. It'll be in the Uh, in the stream notes. Another one, if you're struggling with healing from the times when you weren't shown compassion or you needed it more, it's a book called Redemption by Mike Wilkerson. I think this is out of print now, but I think you can still get copies of it. Um, It's Redemption by Mike Wilkerson. Again, highly recommend this, just helping you heal from that hurt. And then finally, this one's called From Fear to Freedom by Rosemarie Miller. Focuses a little more on anxiety and fear Um, but really helpful in showing you how to receive the compassion of Jesus so that you can be the kind of person that shows that compassion to others. Um, I know a big breakthrough for me when it comes to race relationships was a book I've recommended several times over the last couple of months, and that's Let Justice Roll Down. So just like when I heard Gary Haugen speak 20 years ago in seminary about things he had seen and how he was working to uh, work for human trafficking and child abuse and slavery issues across the world, Uh, This one helped me to understand our own history of racism and difficulties. It's called Let Justice Roll Down by John Perkins. Um, Man, again, just when you look in the Gospels, Jesus sees the hurt, and then he feels compassion, and then he moves towards it. And so for me, this helped me to actually see, oh, our problems were much deeper, more complex, more terrifying than I realized in our country 
And it, it's important sometimes to just see the pain that's there, maybe study history or hear people's stories of their own lives. So I recommend this one if you're kind of confused or don't feel like you know much about race relations in our country. This is a good one to start, just kind of seeing, seeing the gospel-centered response of John Perkins as a man of God to racism that he underwent in his life. All right, second point. Where are we? All right, I got to hurry up for point two and three. Just so you know, I'm going to tell you a little secret. I always take longer with point one. Have y'all noticed that? Sorry about that. Okay. (laughs) Amen, amen. Okay. Compassion defies common sense. Compassion defies common sense. Just to be fair, there's also the introduction before I even get to point one, but yeah, I still take longer with point one. Compassion defies common sense. Verse 15. Now, it was evening, all right? Common sense says, day is done. We're done. We're ready to hang it up, right? The disciples are like, Jesus, we're ready to watch some Netflix and chill out. We don't really want to do anything else. Verse 15, now it was evening. The disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Ever feel like God asks you to meet a need that you're incapable of needing or meeting? Ever felt that way? I think that's how the disciples felt right now. Now, again, we can look at the other, the other versions of this and see that they went to this little boy. So the only person that had anything was a little boy with a lunchbox, right? And so, verse 17, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he sat them all down and started feeding them, right? So we'll get to that in the next section. But just to review, um, it doesn't make sense to try to have compassion on these people because we don't have anything to give them. That's where they're starting. It's the end of the day. We've done our work. Jesus, we've watched you. We see that you have healthy boundaries, and when you're done healing people, you stop and take naps. We want to do that too, right? We want to be done. The day is over. It's late. Let's send them away. But Jesus is still moved in compassion towards them. No, they don't need to do that. Let's, let's feed them. Let's feed them. And then he says, you do it. And I just, again, I just want you to feel that. Because that's essentially what I'm doing to you right now, right? I'm saying there's a hurting world filled with chaos. There's more hurt than you can handle. If you watch the news or you look on social media, you're going to be overwhelmed. And what I'm actually telling you is very similar to what Jesus is telling his disciples. I'm telling you, look, feel compassion, and do something about it. Now, just to be clear, you can't do everything about everything all the time everywhere Jesus, I am saying, just start with the thing you see. What's the next step that you can take? What do you need to do? Pray about it. Jesus, what what do I do? Okay, well, um, hey, there's this little boy. We can steal his lunch. All right. Uh, What do we do with this? This is all we got, Jesus. This is what we have. Now, it it seems that the little boy offered it right in the other stories. The little boy's left out of this story. But somehow, the way Matthew tells it, this is all they got, right? It's the only resource they've been able to find. Forget how they found it. We can read about that in the other stories. But here's what they've got. Sometimes that's the situation we're in. That is the next step. You see a world of pain and hurt, and you say, well, I've, I've got a degree in biology. Maybe I could do something with that. Or I have some money. Maybe I could do something with that. Or I'm gifted in administration. Or I'm gifted in mercy. I can talk to people. I can sit with them, hold their hand, and cry. With, you know, like, wh- what do I have? I can do something. But again, compassion defies common sense. What you have is not enough. 
right? Just to be very literal with the story, five loaves and two fishes are not enough. Is it fish or fishes? I think it says fishes in here, doesn't it? Two fish. Okay, two fish. Five loaves and two fish are not enough. Do you see that? So Jesus is going to say the same kinds of things to you that he's saying to his disciples. So again, we've got to be careful. This is a narrative, and you don't want to just go you know, proving big points out of one thing that Jesus did at one time. I would say, overarching New Testament principle, God asks us to be in the world-mending business with him. God asks us to forgive others the way we've been forgiven, to serve others the way that we've been served, to be generous the way that God has been generous to us. So it's a New Testament principle. God's going to ask us to take our little and offer it to him and do something with it. So it's going to defy common sense. Just look around and say, okay, this is what I have, and then stop your, your judgment side of your brain that says, it's not enough, so let's quit, and take that and say, here you go, Jesus. This is all I've got. And you can even wrestle with him about it, right? Like it's, again, he knows what you're thinking, so you might as well be honest and tell him, Jesus, this is all I've got. It's definitely not enough. But you're God. Let's see what you can do with it. And you offer it to him. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's so beautiful and so freeing for us. I found a picture here. I was Googling uh, the five loaves and two fish, not fishes, five loaves and two fish. So I found a, a picture here, a famous painting by a painter named Kipax Williams. Do you have that up there? And he drew this painting of a little boy with five loaves and two fish. You'll notice, though, in the bottom, the little boy is holding paintbrushes. And so this is an interesting thing the painter was saying. Actually, I said he's a famous painter. I don't know if he's famous. But anyway, he's a painter, (laughs) and it's a beautiful painter, a beautiful painting. He painted this after going on a trip to Haiti. He was an American that went on a trip to Haiti and saw great hunger and wanted to help. He was basically on some kind of mission trip, some kind of humanitarian aid trip. And his heart was broken, and he's a painter. And so he painted the picture to say, Jesus, I'm, that's kind of like supposed to be him as a little boy. He's a grown man. But it's like, I'm a little boy offering my paint. I'm a painter. This is my meager offering. Jesus, do something with it. That, that's what we do. What do you have? We offer that. Say, Jesus, how can you use this for your glory? I'm an engineer. How, how can I be an engineer for your glory to serve people and love people and relieve their suffering and move towards them their pain? I'm a mom. How can I relieve the suffering of my children and maybe their friends and the people around me. I'm a, whatever you are, whatever gifts you have, how can I take my five loaves, my two fish, and say, Jesus, this is what I have. It defies common sense. It doesn't seem like this could help anybody, but you're the God that works miracles with, with meager offerings and offer that to him. So number one, do you ever feel annoyed that, that Jesus asks you to do something when you know you don't have enough to do anything with, right? Admit that to him. Say, Jesus, I feel a little frustrated, but I know that you're bigger than my frustration. And offer him whatever you have. If you feel Jesus calling you to meet a need, tell him, Jesus, I think you might be asking me to show compassion here, but this is all I have. So I'm going to try to obey you. I'm going to try to step out in faith and offer this, and I'm going to do the best I can. I'm I'm going to roll forward. I'm going to see the pain. I'm going to feel that pain. I'm going to move towards meeting that need the best that I can. And I'm going to just bring this up one more time. 
because I think we're struggling to live this because we're so isolated, we're so insecure, we're so anxious right now in our culture. And this is Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Be happy with those who are happy. Be sad with those who are sad, right? It says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Celebrate with those who celebrate. Cry with those who cry. That's what we're called to. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. It's this call to suffer alongside those who are hurting. So again, I'm going to readily admit, I often, when I see bad news, just turn it off. And I'm not saying that's a sin, right? Jesus heard bad news. He went and hid for a little while. There's nothing wrong with that. But I also have to say, we don't get to turn it off all the time. We don't get to wall ourselves off all the time. We have to see people in their pain and move towards it. So pray, Jesus, help, help me to do that in a, in a balanced way. Not to fall off into either extreme of, I'm going to hide from all that pain because I know I can't meet those needs. There's no way I can do it. It defies common sense, so I'm just going to wall myself off, right? That's the practical way. That's kind of the, the heartless practical way to deal with it. And then there's the other way where you're like, I'm going to try to meet every need. I'm going to run around with like a chicken with my head cut off, and I'm just going to be in panic all the time, and I'm just going to try to meet every need and go crazy and abuse myself in the process. No, like trust that God can work through you. There are limited things you can do, limited time that you have, and offer what you have to him. Step out in faith and say, Jesus, this is what I got. What can we do with it? Okay, the last point is that compassion overflows. And this is beautiful, right? Because it defies common sense. It's costly to us. But because Jesus has given himself for us, we're stepping out in faith and we're trying to do something. And then the end here, Jesus shows, you know what? You're going to be fine. You know what? You're going to be fine. And I would say the New Testament principle parallel to this is in Romans 8. So Romans 8 says, yeah, you're struggling. Yeah, you're hurting. But you have this foundation of knowing that Jesus gave himself for you. So there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that gives you a freedom to step out in this world of hurting and pain and groaning and longing. But we're looking forward to everything being made right. So as Christians, we know that sometimes in the here and now, we're going to get the overflowing basket and we're going to be encouraged and be like, man, I was blessed. I spent myself and then the next week someone, someone served me and I feel encouraged. So I want to say thank you for those of you that have done that for me, right? It's been a crazy time and I'll get these little notes and messages and phone calls and texts that are like, I'm praying for you. I know it's weird. I'm praying for you. Thank you. Thank you. We need that. But ultimately... That's in heaven. Ultimately, the ultimate reward, the ultimate overflow is the 12 basketfuls, baskets full that we're going to get. It's technically correct to say it either way. My wife and I looked it up yesterday. (laughs) We're looking forward to that overflow that's ultimately in heaven. So often we get it next week, but ultimately it's in heaven, right? And so that's, that's, read Romans 8 and you'll see the, the, the writing of that permanently. So 19 through 21, in verse 19, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. The Jesus Storybook Bible, she really played that up, man. They were full. They were satisfied. They, they had all they needed taken care of. They were satisfied and they took up then 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. What does that mean? 
there was probably another 5,000 or 10,000 in addition to the 5,000. This, this was a lot of people, a huge crowd. And there were 12 baskets full left over. What do you think is the significance of 12 baskets full? Does 12 mean anything to you? A couple of important things in the Bible. It's a, it's a symbolic you know, number that, that often has a sense of fullness, right? So it often just means fullness or completion, right? Um, but specifically, there were 12 tribes of Israel, and Jesus uh, chose 12 disciples that became apostles, these 12 leaders of his church to found it. And so there were his 12 guys passing out, doing the painful thing with Jesus that defied common sense and so then now they get 12 baskets full at the end, like, you're going to be all right, guys. It's not going to kill you to show compassion. You'll be fine. You'll be okay. And he's reassuring them. He's showing them that when we enter into that pain, responding to how Jesus showed compassion to us, and we're willing to defy common sense, stepping out in faith and saying, Jesus, I don't see how you could do anything with my meager resources, but I'm still going to spend them, offer them, give them to you to help others in their need. When we do that, then there's an overflow. Then there's leftovers. Again, we want to be careful and not go into a prosperity gospel kind of thing that says, every time you help someone, tomorrow you'll get $100, right? It's, that's, not, that's not how it works. But you know what? Sometimes it is. Sometimes God is like, they need encouragement. Here it is. Ultimately, that's heaven. Ultimately, that's heaven. That's where our reward is. Seeing Jesus face to face, being with them. The, the high point of it all, again, Romans 8 talks about this. Um, so leftovers. Now, I also want to clarify, my wife and I were talking about this as well when we were reviewing the Jesus Storybook Bible part of it. We're kind of a gluttonous society, and so there were some other ways that it, that, that story was written that we thought, oh, she might be emphasizing that too much because like, as a society, we just eat too much. Like That's kind of a problem in our society. And so I was thinking of leftovers, right? Like 12 baskets full of leftovers. And I was like, yeah, sometimes we take that too far in our society. Um, the Simpsons, it's a great Muggeridgean tragedy. Uh, I don't, y'all know Malcolm Muggeridge? He's like an old English Christian writer. He often talked about how uh, in comedy and tragedy, it gives us great insight into the brokenness of the world. And we see uh, where the gospel can come in. So anyway, one author years ago argued that the Simpsons, even as crass and ridiculous as this show was, was a type of Muggeridgean tragedy that kind of gave us a picture of our need before God. So I found a picture of Homer Simpson eating this 10-foot sub. I think there's a picture there you can see. It started to turn like purple and then gray and then green because he couldn't stand to let it go to waste, right? Any of you that way? Like if there are leftovers, they've got to be eaten, right? Um, Well, I just want to clarify, sometimes you need to just throw them away, okay? Uh, so anyway, I don't, now I'm like, why did I start talking about this? I think, I think what I'm trying to say is in our own culture, sometimes we gorge ourselves on too much, right? Sometimes we're obsessed with the getting the leftover. Sometimes we're obsessed with the overflow. And I think that's, that's not the point of what Jesus is trying to say here. I think what Jesus was trying to say here is not prosperity gospel. You'll be rich. You'll get a Cadillac tomorrow if you obey me today. Not that kind of thing. He's saying you'll be taken care of. And we live in the kind of universe that when we obey Jesus and we give, there is a spiritual return to that. Again, we don't always see the physical return we might want to see in the here and now. 
But Paul talks about this when he talks about giving. He talks about how when we invest our physical resources for spiritual things, actually what he says there is we get a spiritual return. Right? So think about it this way. If you sacrifice some of your resources so a friend can hear about Jesus, guess what happens? The point is not for you to then get blessed and be rich. The blessing is they now know Jesus. There's an overflow that takes place, and we want to make sure we don't confuse that again, because I think our, our society's confused about that a lot. So number one, when you look at this, when you see uh, this tension of giving your meager resources, the, don't slide to either extreme of poverty gospel or prosperity gospel, right? Like the point is not to uh, pursue as much pain as possible, to give up as much as I can, but the point also is not to give generously so that I can be rich, so that I can have overflow and more leftovers. No, the point is love. The point is compassion. And so, again, Romans 12 is so beautiful. He says, bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other. Celebrate with those who celebrate. Cry with those who cry. That, that's what Jesus calls us to in real life is move towards one another. And again, it's such a weird time where we are trying to move towards each other physically and they're like, oh wait, but I can't touch you, right? Like it's, it's weird. Yes, it's weird. But we still must move towards each other and trying to encourage and love and walk alongside one another. Um, I, I want to end with the motivation that Paul gives, because I keep going back to Romans 12 as this guideline of like, yeah, love each other, live in harmony with one another, walk besides each other, suffer with one another. That's what Paul calls us to. That's where the rubber meets the road of living out compassion. And Paul starts with Romans 12.1. He says, because of God's mercy. And that's another one of those gut words for compassion. That's the like, Tirman word. That's just another innards aching word of compassion. Because God ached and moved towards you, and Romans 1 through 11 spells it out in meticulous doctrinal detail. If you're put off by the reality that Jesus was a real person that loved people and cried with them, then maybe you need to look at Romans 1 through 11 that puts it in a doctrinal context that says, he bled and died for you, right? And so some of us are just inspired by Jesus' humanity and his you know, willingness to, to love and to be patient and to meet people where they're at. But there's also something really inspiring about Jesus as a warrior who's willing to die for us. And Romans 1-11 through 11 spells that out. He died as a sacrifice to take your place, to take your sins upon himself. And he rose from the dead and he gives that righteousness to you. So Paul says in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, this is his appeal, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If you're not feeling it, if you're not sure what to do next, then look again at Jesus. Look at the mercies of God. Look at a God who moved towards you in your pain by sending Jesus for you. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are moved towards us in our pain. We thank you that you are a God of mercy. We pray that you'd help us to fulfill the mercy commands of the New Testament. And God, we thank you that the New Testament clarifies that none of us deserves mercy, but we give mercy because you've been merciful to us. We all deserve justice, but you're a God who poured out your wrath on Christ. 
And in doing that, you are now giving us mercy if we would trust you. So help us to trust the mercy you've given to us. Help us to trust the compassion that you've shown to us. And then show that compassion to others. We thank you that you are the king of compassion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.